tonight, the title of the message is The Righteous Judge. All throughout Scripture, we see God as, as love. We see Him as uh, pursuing man after we reject Him. We see God in, in many of His different attributes, but the most emphasized of God's attributes is His holiness. And one day, His holiness will be on full display when He judges the world in righteousness. And I know that this isn't a, maybe this tonight it won't be a rah-rah and a, and a uh, you know, kind of get you pumped type of message. But I want us to, uh, tonight, just let God speak through his word and let him uh, work in our hearts as far as who he is and how that relates to how we, uh, we should be in relation to him. And so I'm going to begin the psalmist begins with a description of the judge. In verse 1, he says, The mighty one, God the Lord. The mighty one, God the Lord. I want you to just think about this statement. Now, what he was saying in these combined statements, I want you to see what he is referring to uh, God as in the utmost majesty that he could possibly conjure up. He begins this psalm lifting up God in a way that only He is worthy to be lifted up. He says the Mighty One. It means, the word in Hebrew is El, and it means that He stand, it stands for the, the might of God, that He is awesome in His power, that He stands alone in His majesty, the, the Mighty One. And then He calls Him God. That's the term Elohim. And this is speaking of the plural form of God. We know that we see God as a triune God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1, when he said, let us make man in our image. He is speaking through within the Godhead. And Jesus, we know, is a part of that. And Jesus had a, a, an eternity past. We see it in, in the Old Testament. He would appear in the form of a man. He had a, 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 a form like a man. And we, and God made us in His image. And of course, there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so, He is speaking of God in an intense way. Uh, His, His, His deity in that of multiplicity. And, uh, and I can't wrap my, my mind around that. We, if any of you tonight understands this, then I want to talk to you afterwards. <laughs> But He is the plural one. He is the self-existing one. It connotates His wisdom in that term and also His might. Then He calls Him Jehovah. Wherever you see in the Old Testament the, the term Lord, the name Lord in all capital letters in your Bible, that is to be translated Jehovah or Yahweh. Yahweh. And this is the title in which He reveals Himself uh, in the Old Testament often, and, and it reveals and it emphasizes His grace that He uh, he is the self-existing One. He needs no one or, or anything, yet He wants to reveal Himself to us. I want you guys to just grasp that tonight. The Judge, His power, His majesty, the, the Mighty One, the One who sits on the throne of the universe, He's God, our Lord, Jehovah. And these first three words in the text, they emphasize Him as God the Lord, Yahweh. El, uh, El you see that throughout Scripture. You see Him as El Shaddai. You see Him uh, throughout with the different names of God. One day I would love to do a study on the names of God. And, and this is what the psalmist is starting off with. The description of our God. He's the judge. Any of you have ever been in a courtroom and the judge comes in and, and they say, Your Honor? They don't, they don't refer to the judge. Uh, I remember one time I was in court and I had a speeding ticket and, and I'll never forget, you know, just this judge, he, he was a little, he was a little feisty. He was a little angry. He, he would tell you about yourself. And I was watching as he dispatched, uh, his judgment on the people before me and I was a little worried. Because I was guilty. I remember I was, I was coming back from a wedding up north 
and I was driving on the 58, and I was going way too fast. Anybody ever driven on that last stretch of the 58 before we have to, you know, come on to the 14? And it's, it's, there's nothing there, right? And it, I'm just going, and all of a sudden I see those that tree of lights, a CHP officer, <laughs> and uh, man, I was I was so uh, upset with myself, and so I went to court for that ticket. And uh, that day, I, I've shared the story before, but that day it was there was a field trip from the local elementary school, and they brought in a whole uh, like 25, maybe fourth or fifth graders to come into the courtroom and to sit and watch the judge do what he does. And so I even I was so embarrassed to be in there, even more embarrassed that all these kids are in there, you know. And this judge, he was he was not being nice, but he had his robe and he was sitting higher than everybody else. He he's in a position of honor. Well, I tell you this because our God, our righteous judge, he he is high and lifted up above everyone. And he deserves our honor, our praise, our worship. I'm telling you, the problem a lot of times in the church today is that we have a small view of God. We have a small view of God. And so our problems are big. Our worship is half-hearted. I'm telling you tonight, if we would get back to, if the church got back to seeing a holy God high and lifted up, it would change the way that we live. It would change the way that we worship. It would change the, the relationship that we had to him. Oh, what a privilege to go to the high king in prayer. We wouldn't have to beg people to come to 6 a.m. prayer. If you really believe in your heart of hearts that you are going to meet the king of kings, the righteous high judge, I'm telling you tonight, that's our problem. I'm telling you tonight, we're comfortable, we're apathetic. And this psalmist, he understood what we quite don't grasp as well as we should at times. That who he was going to speak about, who he was going to pen these words about, He's the mighty one. God the Lord, high and lifted up. So we get a description of the judge, his power, but we also see that he's going to speak to his people. Let's look, we're going to keep going. It says, the mighty one, God the Lord has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. So when he speaks, it's on a re- what he's describing here, what he's the picture that he is uh, he is painting for us is that when God speaks, all the earth has to listen. He is the final say. He says, "Out of Zion, verse number two, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth." And he's describing God in His splendor. He's designing. He's he's, he's the designer, but yet. He is the perfect one. He is, he is perfect in his beauty. And he says, our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him. And it shall be very tempestuous all around him. You guys, this picture here, this is the, the most destructive force that the psalmist can think about. You guys know that a fire will burn as long as it has something to burn. That fire is, you know, is, it will not be stopped unless, uh, there is, uh, a putting out of, 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 of materials for it to burn. And this is what he's saying about God. And the Bible often describes our God as a consuming fire. A consuming fire. When he revealed himself to Moses on the backside of the desert, what, how did he reveal himself? On, in a burning bush. And the, and the miracle was, of course, that the bush was burning, but the, it was not being consumed. Hey, you ever seen a man and a woman who's filled with the Spirit of God, they're on fire? And, and, but yet, they're not being, they're not being consumed. They're, they, they have the power of God on them, but they're not being destroyed. And I want you to just get this picture of our God tonight. He's a consuming fire. He said it's going to be very tempestuous. It's like when God showed up in the camp, 
when God showed up on Mount Sinai, I saw a video on social media the other day, and um, they're saying that there's um, they found uh, Mount Sinai, and that it's still uh, there, it's being hidden from the world. They don't want to show it because it will confirm what Scripture says that when God came down and, and the fire was on the top of that mountain, it still scorched till this day. I'm telling you. This isn't fairy tales or pixie dust what we believe, family. And science, it, it has to bow before the truth of God's Word. And, and it's being confirmed throughout, throughout the, the ages. The Bible has stood the test of science, of historical uh, research, of everything you can think about. Archaeological finds have confirmed things like the walls of Jericho. I'm telling you tonight, I sure, as the sun will come up in the morning, we can believe this word. And our God who is behind it, He's the one who stands above it all. And so we get this description of the judge, but I want you to see He's going to now Address his people. Look at verse number four. He shall come, he shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge who? His people. Verse number five. Gather my saints together to me. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness. For God himself is judge Selah. I want you to notice this tonight. I noticed this and it hit me hard. And we've we we know this to be true, but when God comes, He's going to first deal with us before He deals with the world. His people. Now of course in context here, the psalmist is, is referring to those covenanted people, uh, Israel, his his people the, who knew the one true God and that God would call for them to gather so that He can judge His people. And I want you to see there's New Testament uh, evidence that one day every one of us will stand before God. The Apostle Paul said that he persuaded men. The reason why he was so fervent in his ministries is because that he knows that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he says, knowing the terror thereof. Hey, I'm thankful that when I stand before God, that the blood of Jesus will plead for my sin. I'm not going to be judged. Uh, I will not be uh, departed, sent away from his presence because of what Jesus has done. But you know, I'm going to give an account for my life. I'm going to have to answer for my stewardship of what God has given me, my time on earth, my relationship with Him, my family. Hey, Dad's in here. You're going to have to give an answer for the family that God gave you. You're going to have to uh, stand before God, and and He's going to uh, He's going to see your works. He's going to test them by fire. And hear the same thing throughout Scripture, and that which was was done with the wrong motives, that which was worldly and, 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 and not of significance, that which was not done uh, in faith, those things will be burnt up. They're called wood, hay, and stubble. But the things that we do for Christ, and I want you to know, it's so important that we understand that everything that we do, whether it's raising a family, whether it's working a career, whatever we do, it should be done as unto the Lord. And so we're going to have our works judged and we're going to give an account before the righteous judge. And I don't know about you, I was nervous when I was standing in front of this judge that might make me pay a, you know, a few hundred dollars. But I'm telling you, that's going to be a nerve-wracking event for a lot of believers. A lot of believers who can only make it to church Christmas and Easter. A lot of believers who do not have a, a, a life of surrender. A lot of us, we, we will have to answer for that. And God is going to begin with us. He said, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. He says, I'm going to judge those. And he goes on. I want you to see in verse number 7. He's going to 
rebuke them or reject their empty religious ritual. Look at verse 7. Hear, O my people, I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. So the judge is going to testify against those. He says, I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I want you to get this picture. Of course, Israel, they were given by God the sacrificial practices, the, the, the ceremonial uh, practices of, uh, of shedding the blood of animals, which pointed, of course, to the coming Christ who would shed his blood for the redemption of the world. And God wasn't saying that he is uh, rejecting that, but what he was concerned with was the heart behind it. These people were going through these empty religious rituals, and they did not have the relationship with God that they should have had. He says, I will not take a bull from your house, verse number 9, nor goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I was thankful to read that again today, that our God, He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need anything from anyone. <laughs> he says, I know all the birds of, of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, <laughs> for the world is mine in all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. So God is, is speaking in this psalm, I believe, and he's saying, hey, your religious rituals, your sacrificing of animals, it means nothing to me if you do, if I don't have your heart, if I don't have your your thankfulness, if I don't have your obedience, if you don't love me more than anything else or anyone, I could care less. I have no need of the flesh of animals. The whole world is mine already. See what God is desiring from His people. What He is looking for are those who love Him. And Jesus said it this way, If you love Me, keep My commandments. Hey, there are people who grace the doors of churches, churches like this, week after week after week, but there is no life change. There is no surrender like we sang a moment ago. They, they don't lay their lives down for God. They go through religious practices to appease themselves for just a few moments, but then run back to the same sinful patterns and still live a rebellious, disobedient life, still have things that God has rebuked you for and, and told you to repent for on occasion after occasion and, and still uh, continue in those things. And what God says, he says, offer to me thanksgiving. I want your heart. You see, a thankful heart, when you realize what you've been saved from, when you realize what is ahead of us, when we have this promise of heaven and eternity with God, hey, when you have a thankful heart, that's going to play out in how you live. That's going to play out in what you do, what you, uh, how you uh, go through this life. He said, I'm looking for those who will offer, not bulls to me, but a heart of thanksgiving. He says, pay your vows to the Most High. Do what you promised that you would do. Obey me. You know, as a father, you know, the, the ultimate compliment is when my children obey me. And uh, you, those of us who are parents, we, we know what it feels like to, to have our children rebel, to have our, our children hear you say one thing and they do another. And it, it, it hurts us. And I want us to get this picture. God is our heavenly father. And when we live in rebellion to him, it hurts his heart. It affects him. He's watching you. He's watching me. He, he sees our lives. And our words can say one thing. And our religious uh, activities can say one thing. And our church attendance, I'm telling you, you could, have, you could check all the boxes. But if your heart... It's far from him. He, Jesus said, these people glorify me with their mouths, but their heart is far from me. What does God see in our hearts tonight? Does he see thankfulness? Does he see that we love him? And does it, does it make it 
to our feet. See, what you treasure, what is important to you, it always makes its way out of our lives in some way. And this is what he's saying. I reject your empty religious rituals. I want your heart. And this is why there's churches today filled with people, many I believe unconverted, they fashion a God that we don't find in Scripture. I was driving the other day, and uh, we were down in L.A. I went to go visit my my wife's uh, father in, in the hospital, and I, I was driving, and we were close to West Hollywood, and there was this big church, and and as bright as day, you see the the rainbow colors, right, on top of the sign, you know, and just grieve my heart. And I, I think, what does God think when he sees that? He rejects that. And I'm telling you, not just that issue, that's the biggest one I think in, in, in our day right now at the moment. But what does God see when he looks at our hearts? And we say we love him, but our actions... Say otherwise, and, and um, church, I just want us to understand that God isn't looking for us to go through the motions. He's not looking. He doesn't care how much scripture you know. He doesn't care about you know how well you can sing, how well you can even preach. Hey, I'm I'm preaching to myself. Like I said, God hit me in between the eyes. You know, I've seen many men in the pulpit fall, and it didn't happen overnight. It's a drifting that happens when your heart gets set on other things. And we as preachers, we have to look out in in a lot of different areas. There's a lot of pitfalls in ministry, but there's a common factor throughout. We see it. There's there's wealth can draw away preachers. There's women and there's worldliness and and being in love with the world's applause and more than uh, loving the world's. Praise of men more than the, the praise of God. And I'm telling you this, we've got to all look at our hearts. We've got to all say what the psalmist said in Psalm 139. Search my heart and show me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Do you present your heart to God daily? Say, God, show me. You see, because our heart, my heart, is desperately wicked Who can know it? You know why you don't want to read the Bible? Because you don't want God searching your heart. You know why you don't, you don't have a desire for, for the spiritual meat and the deeper things? You want to know why there are Christians who have been saved for decades and they're still on the milk? It's because God doesn't have their heart. And this is what He's saying. He's rebuking them. But in verse 15, He tells them that you need to call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God rewards those who love and seek Him. He says, I will deliver those who call upon me in the day of trouble. I love that. Because what he's saying is if you, if you repent in your time of trouble, I mean, if, if you just change course and you call on me, I will deliver you and you will glorify me. And tonight, maybe God is speaking to someone here or online. He's saying, hey, turn around. Call on me. You're, you're on the You're on the way to destruction. Your day of trouble is right there before you. Today, I got into my office a little later, but I listened to, I had one voicemail on my phone, and it was from a lady. She didn't say her name, but she said, I'm calling because I want to share with you a word that I believe I got from the Lord three years ago. And um, she began to outline how She's, and I, I don't know, I have, I'm praying, you know, I'm just, I'm just felt led to share it, but she said, God has shown me that it's going to be difficult days ahead. 
and that we must circumcise our hearts. We must break up our hard hearts and be prepared. And she began to outline what God showed her, how persecution is coming, how war is coming, how financial collapse, collapse is coming, and how difficult days are ahead, and that those who are lukewarm, those who are on the fence, those who are not uh, rooted in Christ, they're not going to make it. She says she, she began to outline how the persecution is going to heighten to the point where there will be uh, there will be camps for those who refuse to to follow the powers that be. And and I can take you to a website right now where this is outlined. I could take you to the World Economic Forum where it's talking about you will own nothing, but you will be the happiest you ever will. I can take you to where they're going to give us a social credit score. I can take you to where it's going to be difficult. You won't be able to buy, sell, or trade without buying into the system. You see this whole thing, I don't want to, you know, the, the jab that we've been talking about, this is just warming us up for something, y'all. I'm telling y'all, it's about to get difficult. The day of trouble is really, really close, I believe. And this is why we've been sounding the alarm. This is why we're having Rend the Heaven Saturday. This is why we have 6 a.m. prayer. This is why we are ramping it up. This is why we're going to call you to fast. This is why we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, try to walk the walk, not just talk the talk, because we sense this. And if you're on the fence, and if you're just going through the motions, you just have religion, you don't have a relationship. When the storm comes, you heard it Sunday, when the storm comes, that house that's built on sand will not stand. And you say, Pastor, I didn't come tonight to hear this, and that's discouraging. <laughs> well, let me tell you, you read the, read your Bible. There has never been a season in Christianity where there was not somewhere throughout the world where the where true believers were, were under fire. I'm gonna tell you this. We've had <laughs> we've had a good run, but it's now time and I'm thinking this is gonna strengthen the church. This is we saw it a few years ago how COVID shook the church. And I'm telling you, uh there there's going to come more of a shaking. There's going to come more of a stirring. There's going to be a. There's already been a line drawn in the sand. And those churches and those preachers and those Christians who, who align themselves with the world. What we're hearing in Revelation, I believe God is going to remove that candlestick. He's going to remove that. He's going to separate uh, the sheep from the goats. He's going to. He's going to do something new in this season. I truly believe, and I'm just saying tonight. When God, when the righteous judge comes, he's going to come in his power and he's going to deal with us. So let's be ready. Hey, tonight, let's repent of anything that we are aware of that grieves God. Let's determine in our hearts we're going to seek him. We're going to put God first in his rightful place while we can, before the storm hits full full force. And so I want you to see there was the description of the judge, but I want you to see the declaration of the judge. Now he's going to continue to rebuke the disobedience of his people. Verse 16. He says, But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or to take my covenant in your mouth? Seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you. He, he says to the wicked, and remember, he, he hasn't shifted away from his chosen people here. He's, he's talking to those who are wicked among them. He's saying, you have no right to declare my promises. You know, I've, I've seen this often. You've seen it. You've seen Christians. They have a tag on them. Uh, you know, have... Let's, for example, they have Philippians 4.19, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And uh, nothing's wrong with that verse, but in context, think about what Paul was saying. Paul was, he was saying that because he had given his life over to God, 
because he was a servant, a slave to God, and that he learned that whatever, wherever God has them to be content, that he, he, that God would supply his need. He said, for those who, who love him, those who serve him, that promise is, uh, for those, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm telling you, there's a lot of things, a lot of promises of God that, that are unconditional, but there are a lot that are conditional. And what I'm saying tonight is he's rebuking these who are in disobedience. May God see us faithful so that we aren't reprimanded, but rewarded. That's my desire to hear, well done, now good and faithful servant. He says they hated instruction. They didn't want to hear his words. They cast it behind him. How many people? within the church, hear God's words and cast it over and, and disobey it. They have ears, but they don't hear. They don't, we don't change. And this is, this is not anything new. This is going on and it will always be those who reject Him in that way. He goes on. He says, verse 18, when you saw a thief, you consented with him. And you have been partakers with adulterers. <laughs> God is calling them out. They, the company that they kept, they kept bad company. They consented with those who were wicked as well. They were partakers in adultery. And this is what he is, uh, he's pointing out their character, their, their lives. Uh, spoke to whom they were. They did not fear God. I'm telling you this. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. I'm telling you, there. Are, if you don't have a respect and a healthy fear of God, you're a fool according to the Bible. Now let me tell you something. A fool was the strongest term you could give for someone in that day. Hey, I don't want to be found foolish. Hey, I want to have a respect for the judge. I, want to, I don't want him rebuking me. I don't want to be a judge because I cast off his words. I... Paul said it to Timothy. He said it. He said, "Hey, I keep my body under subjection because why? Well, listen to this. Because myself having preached to others, I don't want to become a castaway. If the apostle Paul said, I am spiritually disciplined so that I don't become a castaway, so that I don't fall off, how much more should we be?" sober and vigilant about our walk with God, about how we stand before a holy God. I'm telling you tonight, we've got to, we've got to step it up. I think we've thought, because of the, the peace that we've experienced here in America, we, we, we think that we are on a playground when we're on a battlefield. And the devil's coming for every one of you. He's coming for me. I know I have a target. And I'm telling you, We've got to, we've got to get real with God. He goes on, verse 19, he says, you give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother <laughs> and you slander your own mother's son. So, Bible talks about that in the last days that there will be those who have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. It talks about them that they'll be slanderers, disobedient to parents, that they would have uh, dirty mouths. And I'm telling you, I heard it this week. People who come to this church going home and cursing their, their spouse. And I'm telling you, we've got to We've got to heed the warning from the Word of God. He says, you speak against your own brother. I think that's blood, but also in the family of God. You know, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And the way that I speak about you, it should reflect my love for God. I'm telling somebody here tonight, because I know there's, there's not a week that goes by where we aren't putting out fires between people in this church. Those who are sometimes serving. And I'm telling you, 
if they had a righteous view of God, a, a fear of God, they would know not to talk about their brother like that. They would know not to refer to their sister in that way. And I'm telling you, God is speaking. He's saying, church, we better shape up because the righteous judge is coming. Would be to God that we get, we get this tonight. I get this. So you speak, you slander your own mother's son. He says, these things you have done, I have kept silent. Hey, don't confuse God's silence for his approval. He's showing us grace right now. His judgment, the wheels of his judgment, they move very slowly. But they're steady and his timing is his and he will rebuke. He will judge us. He said, you thought that I was altogether like you. He said, <laughs> he said you thought that we were all good. I'm like you. I'm going to let this slide. Mm-mm. God said, I will repay. <laughs> he, said, he said, I will. And this is, I want you to get this picture. God didn't let Moses into the promised land because he lost his cool one time and struck the rock too hard. You, you better than Moses? David, the sword, never left his house because his sin with Bathsheba and killing Uriah. And he had a daughter that was raped and he had a son that tried to take over and was hung. I'm telling you, you better than David? No, we're not. And he's going to judge. He judges those whom he, whom he loves. He chastens. He's not playing with us. And I'm telling you, some of you, maybe you were those type of parents who you just turned the, the eye away from your, your children when they were in a pattern of sin. And, and, and if you could go back, you, you, would, you would handle that differently. Some of you would testify that tonight because now, Listen to me. Now you see. Man, I could have. I should have. I should have lovingly rebuked that when she was three, when she was five. Now she's 35. And I'm telling you, like, let's, let's just be real. Hey, I'm preaching to somebody and I am preaching to myself for sure. I'm telling you, just because God is silent right now doesn't mean he is approving. He said, you thought I was like you, but I'm going to rebuke you, is what he says. I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. I'm going to set things straight. I'm going to correct you. God is saying, oh, get it tonight. He is rebuking the disobedient tonight. Hey, none of us have arrived. We all, if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth does not live within us. We know that. And I'm not preaching perfection. But what I am saying is that our direction should not be towards sin. It should be towards God. And personal holiness. You will not see God move in your life without holiness. You will not experience the fullness of the Spirit without holiness. I will not finish the course. You know, only two out of ten pastors finish in the ministry. I was talking to a family here. I think it was Dana. And Cindy Burns a few months back, and they said the last three pastors that we have, they all fell in immorality. The last three churches that we were a part of, the pastors fell. And I, I just want to just preach to somebody tonight. I'm preaching to myself because if you don't think the devil shows up on my shoulder all the time, you got another thought coming. You know, if you don't think the temptation is not. Uh, 
intense for, for preachers. You got another thought coming. I'm telling somebody in here tonight, even though you may not be a pastor, even though you may not uh, have to stand before people and try to lead people spiritually, I'm telling you, the devil still knows your address and he's still trying to take you down. He'd love to see you by the wayside. He'd love to see your family destroyed. He'd love to see you uh, like a daisically go about your Christian life so that when that temptation comes and when that when that fall it, when it comes, it'll be great. He, he's looking for that. And what God is saying to us, I believe, through His Word is that change course, repent right now. He gives this strong warning. He says now, verse 22, He says, now consider this, you who forget God lest I tear you in pieces. Wow. Now, I know this is a song, this is a song and this is songs often, you know, use grandeur and, and, and illustrations and, you know, extremes and other things, but God isn't playing, I truly believe. He says, lest I tear you in pieces and there'll be none to deliver. Consider this. Think about in Isaiah, when Isaiah prophesied, come let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I can, you will be cleansed, you'll be made white as snow when you turn, when you repent, when you go to God, when you forsake it, when you, you, uh, you do, you look at your sin and, and this is what I pray in my life, that I would see my sin as God sees it. That I would hate my sin more than I hate my neighbor's sin. Hey, we have no problem hating our neighbor's sin. Or our brother's sin, or our, even our spouse's sin. <laughs> but you know, we are our number one defense attorney, attorneys. Oh, it's not that bad. And I'm asking God to take me deeper with Him. And He says, not without holiness, not without sanctification, Abram. Not without, it's going to cost you something to be in my presence. Hey, <laughs> when Moses came down off the mountain and they were having that, that, that dance party with that golden calf and He had to throw the tablets and he had this, God was going to kill them all. And, and Moses had to intervene. He had to intercede on their behalf. And later down the line, God was going to show up in the, in the camp and he gave instructions to Moses to have them sanctify themselves. Sanctify, get their clean, clean out their lives to, 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 Get right, thoroughly right with him before he show up. I think what God is doing before, before we see the fullness of the storm that's coming, I think what he's saying to many of the leaders within the churches, many of, many of those who are watchmen, our pastors, one of those men who are watchmen on the tower and they see the storm brewing, Saying, get ready. Get ready. God told me two years ago, get your house in order. Had a dream, and I'm not, I'm not claiming to be prophetic, but that it was going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And, and you know what? I think we think because we're only paying four dollars a gallon, not seven, you know, like we were a while back, and we think is maybe oh, I went today, and you know, Costco and the the eggs were down a dollar, you know, and uh, for a moment I'm like, hmm, things might, and they was like, no. It's almost time for election or something, right? <laughs> no. Let me tell you, something's coming. And I want to tell you guys, what God told me, get your house in order. Get your house in order. This church is only as strong collectively as we are as individual units. 
Oh, there can't be any gaps in the, in, in the, in the armor of Westside Christian Fellowship. We've got to be ready. We're going to need each other. And God gives us a strong warning. But I want you to see, He says in verse 23, Whoever offers praise glorifies Me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Listen, <laughs> he who builds his house upon the rock, when the storm comes, he will weather it. They will weather it. Hey, the families who love and serve God, who honor God, the churches, I want to say this, who honor God, who are not just going through the motions, those are the churches that are going to stand. I'm just going to spell it out to you guys. We see economic collapse in this country. We're going to need each other for the day to day. We're going to need each. We're we're going to need to pray pray it in. We might need to pray in the, the next day's daily bread. When you can't swipe the Amex, when the I'm telling you, we're, but a church. That's on fire for God. When the, when the storm hits, we're, we're, we're prepared. We're, we don't miss a beat. I, I've already, God, I've been sitting at your feet. <laughs> I've been depending on you, not my Amex, not my, my retirement, my 401. I've been, I've been walking with you, God. So when the storm hits, God, my eyes are already on you. And what did he do? Oh, anytime the disciples were with him on a storm in the boat, oh, I'm telling you, they still were worried, right? They often had fear. But I'm telling you, uh, Jesus would, he'd sometimes get them out the storm or he'd calm the sea or he, he, he'd often rebuke them for their faithlessness. Because if Jesus is in the boat, we are good no matter what hits. And if Jesus is in his rightful place in our hearts, Whatever comes, whatever happens, whatever happens in the financial system, in the elections, whatever happens, I'm good. You're good. I'm not saying it won't be hard. Hey, we might be doing some involuntary fasting. That's okay. We got reserves. I'm I'm just going to be honest. Like, (laughs) Hey, but many stories. I remember as a child... Well, we were doing some involuntary fasting. And mom would say, hey, let's, let's open the word. And I promise you, we do Bible study. And then I'm eight, nine years old. I'm like, I'm not hungry anymore. We serve a God who's a miracle worker. Or I could tell you other stories where my baby's on the last diaper. I remember Abram, he turned nine yesterday. And I remember we had no money. And my wife told me that morning, first thing in the morning, we don't have any diapers. And, you know, we would we would have done what we had to do, right? We would have done the cloth route. We would have done, you know, we would have got some T-shirts or whatever. Like, he's, he's four or five months. And But I said, God, here I am saying I'm your servant. Hey, anybody talk to God like that? There are people who see who, who who know me? There are people, you know. God, God, will you do something? I promise you, He did something. I, I got a call from a man I hadn't seen in two, three years, and he said, "Hey, Pastor, drive out to my house." It was in Lake LA, and uh, we we didn't have much gas, but I'm like, "Babe," he said, "To come, I'm gonna go." And let me tell you, that whole day, he he ate like he normally ate. Abram did, but he didn't pee or he didn't poop. Listen to me. You can ask my wife. That one diaper lasts all day <laughs> until I went to, out to Lake LA to this man's house and I'd been there with him and his wife had passed away and he came into some money and he said, hey, this is, you know, God told me to give this to you. And I acted real spiritual. I just put it in my pocket like, thank you, sir. Thank you. You know, God bless you. We talked for about 10 minutes and I got in my car. I got around the corner of his neighborhood. I stopped the car. I opened the envelope, and there's $2,700. And I just wept. I had a hallelujah moment in the car. 
I walked into the little apartment off Beach Avenue that we were in at the time, and uh, my, I walked in all cool and calm and collect, and I said, and I, my wife said, she looked at me, and she, I have a wonderful wife. Like, she has gone across the country with me, lived out of suitcases. I mean, she never complained once. She didn't complain once that whole day. And I'll never forget, I walked in there, and she's sitting down, and she's got little baby, she's just doing her best, and there's a little little table in front of her, and I just walked in calmly, and I go, BAM! Look at God! And I'm telling you, she wept, I cried some more, and we went to the store, we got a whole big old pack of diapers, and we ate good that night. I'm just telling you guys, God is able. And that's just one of hundreds of things I could tell you. But I want you to understand, God shows up for those who who love Him, who serve, who try. And I'm not saying I do it perfectly. None of us do. But I promise you, He sees our heart tonight. He knows who's for Him. He knows who's serious about Him. He knows who in this room want to honor Him. And those who want to honor Him, He will honor he will meet your needs. He, he will show up in ways that, that only He can get the glory for it. So tonight, I just want us to get our eyes back on Him, the righteous judge, the mighty one, Jehovah Elohim, our, our Lord. Maybe tonight, all that you need from this message is to be reminded of who He is and, and allow that to set your course. Or maybe tonight he's telling you to repent of something. Whatever it is tonight, do business with God. Don't leave here tonight without getting right with God thoroughly. Surrendering your life again. And, and, and watch what he does. Prepare now. Prepare now for what we inevitably may face here soon. Amen.